Okay, John chapter 4, verse 39. Read along with me if you would, please. It says, And many of the Samaritans in that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, but we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after two days, he departed from there and he went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things, and notice the term seen, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they had also gone to the feast. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come and heal his son. He was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, unless you, and notice people is in italics. That means it's actually not in the original text. It helps us understand because it's in the plural. Unless, unless you guys see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, come, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of the hour in which he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday, about the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour in which Jesus had said to him, Your son lives. So he himself believed, and his whole household. And this, again, is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Hey, you guys, pray with me, would you? God, I just want to thank you for how cool it is to be able to sit here and to hear your word and to know you're going to speak. And I just pray that today you would just make this so simple and clear. Help us to understand what we need to understand, please. So, Lord, we just commit this time to you. We deem every second of it, Lord, and let this just be an amazing day. Let us all be so glad we came. So captivate us, draw us in. May we have so much fun in your word. Let it burst open and come alive. Let it be so much more than just information. But throw us into the middle of it and help us to get it, Lord, please. So we commit this to you. Jesus, in your name, save, transform, equip. Oh, but don't leave us alone. Every one of us, Lord, speak to us right where we're at, I pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen. They would say today is that when any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be the final say. Okay, now first of all, let's just get this kind of clear. In John chapter 20, and if you have your Bible, you can flip there, but in John chapter 20, verse 31, he tells us why he wrote this book. And that's kind of important to note. So go ahead and look at that for a moment. In John chapter 20, verse 30, that's the kind of the beginning of the sentence in essence. It says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Go ahead and get there. I'll, I'll wait. It's cool. John says, man, Jesus did so many things. And I can't record them all. But he says in John chapter 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you would have life in his name. Let me read that again. It says, these things are written. In other words, John wrote this gospel, this gospel of John, for one purpose, 
that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you would have life in his name. Just as there was a lot of other things I could have written, but I didn't. But I did write these down because this is what I want you to do. And John, if you were to sit with John in this old salty fisherman, probably talks a little like this, except he doesn't speak English. You know. Now, maybe today he does. But, you know, when you ask him, John, why did you write your gospel? He would tell you, he's like, dummy, it's in my book. It says, I wrote this so you would believe. There's a lot of other things I could have recorded, but these were the things that were important for that more than anything. So, so get me on this for just a second. Start with this. Every intimate relationship you have, and I don't mean intimate like you want to hug and kiss them, but intimate in the sense that your heart's open to them. Every relationship you have where your heart's open, you're allowing them to influence you, is built on trust. If you don't trust them, you really don't have a real relationship with them. You have at best a relationship where everything's being filtered and you're being careful and you're watching your watch and your wallet and that kind of thing. But every real relationship you have is based on trust. The word trust in the Greek is the word pistucho. It's not a fancy term. But the word trust is translated most of the time as the word faith. Same word. Here's the problem, other than my little Mikey jobby. There's a problem with that too, but that's not your fault. Nor is the other, by the way. I'll just try that and see what happens. All right, so hear me on this. The problem is we hear faith and it just sounds like we smell incense and we look at stained glass. Faith. But it just means trust. It's, it's that simple. And you exercise faith every day. Some of us more than others. How many of you took a bus to get here today? How many of you took a bus in one place? Was I, the only? I didn't take a bus, actually. Okay, how many of you took a train to get here today? Train one way or another? How many of you drove today to get here? How many of you just walked? Okay, cool. I just want to make sure that everyone was listening because... If your hand didn't go up, I'm not too sure how you got here. Uh, and there was, this is the reason I say that. If you drove, you had to exercise trust that not every person on the street was a maniac. Or at least if they were, they were sedate enough not to be a maniac in the car. Some of us exercise greater faith. We got in the car or train of a total stranger. Any of you? Did any of you actually stop and meet the train driver first? And go, excuse me, just before we go any farther, I just want to make sure, like, today isn't the day you decided to die, you know? It's, you know, and, and the reason I say that is, is you don't even, and you know, some of those times those guys get on and they don't even sound like they're awake. They're like, I think we're going to stop somewhere, you know, and you're like, sorry to wake you, do your job, you know? And you're kind of, and the only reason I say that is, is that you got in this kind of going, I just kind of expect that the government's going to get this train where it said it was going to go. And let's be honest, it doesn't always get there. As a matter of fact, these days, I think most of the time you're not getting there. But every real relationship you have is based on trust. And that word trust in, the, in, the, in the, the Bible is just faith. You were exercising that trust. When you sat down in that chair, did any of you give it a 15-point check? Or just assumed that it was going to hold your butt up when you sat down on it, right? It wasn't like, I mean, I didn't see any of you going, all right, just uh, hold on a second. No, okay, let's see. Okay, okay, what? You know, and the reason I say that is we just assume the chair was going to hold us up. And when we talk to people, some people, they're like chairs. We're going to be really careful when we sit down with them. There are other people we're just going to assume that, man, when we're talking, that we hear them. Now understand, God doesn't just want a relationship with you. 
God wants an intimate relationship with you. And again, not huggy-kissy. Intimate like your heart's open. That's all intimate really means, is that there's some knitting of your heart with Him. And you can't have a real relationship with God, at least the way that God wants, without it. And everything God does is based on that relationship. And everything is based on the fact that you trust Him. As a matter of fact, it tells us without faith in Him, it's impossible to please God. Romans tells us that. John teaches us exclusively, or I should say specifically, that everything Jesus does, for instance, John 10.38, the signs that He does are so that we would believe in Him. And believe, by the way, just means you'd exercise your faith on Him. So think of it this way. You've got a debit card, but it's a debit card of faith. And in that debit card, there is faith trust deposited. It tells us faith comes by hearing and not the word of God, but it tells us that God has given everyone a measure of faith. You were born with a measure of trust. And God actually gave that to you and said, spend wisely, maybe in a cooler voice than that. And then what happened every time you read the word, God puts more in your account. And then you exercise it. In some cases, you will spend it stupidly. Let's be honest, most of the regrets we have in life is because we whipped out that faith debit card, that trust debit card, and we slapped it down on something that was really dumb. And what's even worse is sometimes we even knew it was a dumb choice before we did it. We looked and someone says, oh, I know that if I trust that person, I'm going to get hurt. Let's just try anyways. What part of us thinks that that's bright? But right now, as we read his word, God's putting more in and he's saying, spend wisely. And every sign Jesus did was to help us trust him. Believe just means exercise it. Spend it on him. Spend that trust on him. In John 11, Jesus waited for Lazarus to die. We read, because he loved him, he waited. You're like, love? You waited for someone to die because you love me? But he said, I was glad I wasn't there because th- so that you would believe. John 11:15. In John 11:42, when he's praying in front of the tomb, he says, Father, I know you hear me. No, look at I already know you already hear me. I always know you hear me. But I'm praying this out loud for everybody else who's listening to my prayer right now. This is a loose paraphrase. So that everyone else can hear the facts so that they would believe in you. He goes, look, I already trust you, Dad. You know that. Dad, you know I trust you. I don't even have to pray this prayer like this. But you know why I'm praying this prayer because everyone else who's listening to me right now needs to hear it so that they would trust you. That's the idea. Jesus, in all of his prophecies, John 13, 19, tells us that when they come to pass, you'd believe. You'd spend that trust. Jesus, when he prays in the garden, when he prays, he says he prayed that we would be one. And as he prays that we would be one, he says that the world may believe that you sent me, that they'd take that trust they have and spend it on Jesus. Everything he does is to deepen our relationship. And the more that you trust God, the deeper your relationship's going to get with him. Now, that, just so you know, that's also the Father's heart. In John six forty, it tells us that it is the will of the Father who sent him that, that they would believe, that we would see Jesus. And as we see him, that we would believe in him. And as we, as we trust in him, we'd have everlasting life. Now, hear me on this. There's two ways that you're going to trust someone. By what you hear from them and what you see. Now, we lose trust with someone when those two things don't agree. When they say one thing and do another, we lose trust. When there's expectations that should be right with trust and they don't live out, we lose trust. And when we lose trust, let's face it, you are a lot more careful about slapping down that debit card of trust on someone that's already burned you. That's wise, isn't it? 
The reason I say that is that's exactly what we're dealing with here. This whole issue that we're looking at here now as we look at Jesus going to the people up in Galilee, he tells us that there's a problem here. But let me lay out one more thing and we'll get right into our text. If I really believe 1 Timothy 2.4, by the way, I do. It's scripture, so I trust it. It says that God desires all men to be saved. And he really wants you saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Then God knows that there are going to be things that are going to happen that will help you trust him. Sometimes God could just speak and it'll be enough. You're in the middle of some crazy time and God will just say, it's all right, I'm in control. And you'll go, okay, it's all I needed. But there are other times you need more. At least that tends to be the case. And God knows the difference. And if he really wants you saved and he knows there is something that's going to take for you to get saved, he'll actually do it. For instance, with Nathaniel. Remember, Jesus says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And he falls on his knees and says, truly, you're the king of Israel. And you go, Oh, what just happened under the fig tree? And we don't know. What we do know is that that's what Nathaniel needed to trust him. Interestingly enough, if you remember with Peter, it was a catch of fish. He had fished all night, caught nothing, Luke 5, 8. But once he catches that fish, he falls on his knees and he says, leave me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And he puts his trust on him. Jesus says, don't worry, Peter. From now on, you'll catch men. It was Thomas, if you remember, who said, unless I can stick my hand in the nail holes, I won't believe. Remember, the idea is I won't put my trust on him. John 10, 25. What does Jesus do? By the way, please know this. Jesus stoops. If that's what it really takes for you to trust him, he'll do it because he wants you to trust him. If that's what it takes. But there's a danger in that because it could become his own addiction. So hear me in this. When God can speak and we can trust him, we're exactly where we need to be. But if God has, in essence, prove it, we're in a rough spot with him. Now think about that in your own relationship. What kind of relationship do you have with someone that if they said something, you would need them to show you first for you to trust them? It's not a healthy relationship, is it? If someone were to say, this is what I'm doing, go, well, prove it. Put down some collateral. Put, put something behind that so that I can trust that what you're saying is for real. Isn't it weird that we do that with God? Now, Look back at those, at those verses, those first few verses that I, wanted, I had us look back at. Starting in verse 39, notice again, remember the word believe just means you slap down your debit card of trust and you spent it on Jesus in this case. <coughs> notice it says in verse 39, many of the Samaritans of the city believed him. Why? What does it say in verse 39? Because of the word which the woman testified. Look at verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word. And then it says in verse 42, Now we believe, not just because of what you said, but we ourselves have heard him. Did you notice with the Samaritans, Jesus, let me, let's, let me ask you, did we read that he did any miracles there? No, he exposed a girl's heart and he spoke prophecy. We could say that. But he didn't heal anyone. He didn't raise the dead. He didn't levitate. He didn't turn water to wine. I mean, it isn't like, hey, by the way, this is a well of water, but when you pull it up, it'll turn into wine. He didn't do that, did he? All he did is speak, but he spoke, and that's all she needed. Her faith was, in other words, she was so ready to slap down that debit card of trust. She just needed a little bit. She just needed to hear the right thing, and he said it. And that's what God really wants. Interesting, that's a little different here now that we turn to the Jewish people as a whole. Notice it says in verse 43 then. Now, walk through our text with me. 
After two days, he departed from there and he went to Galilee. Now, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Interesting, when you think of prophets, for instance, compare Jeremiah to Jonah. With Jeremiah, he prophesied to his own people and they didn't, want to, they didn't give him the time of day. They threw him in a pit. Things were really rough. It was a really ugly place. Jonah, who didn't even want to go to Nineveh, by the way, if you know, Nineveh is Iraq today. I mean, it's a rough place to go. And, he, and what's even worse is it's about seven to 900 miles away from, from any big water. So if you imagine the guy takes off on a ship and tries to, to, to bail on God, and God has him you know, swallowed by this big fish... You know, my mind is, is that, okay, this, you know, this fish kind of swallowed him up and he's just kind of there wrapped in seaweed. And then the fish went, Bleh! and then he kind of fell out. And there he was at Nineveh and every, he's like, hey guys, you know, but he's got to get out of that, that nasty fish and he's got to walk or ride a camel or whatever, but he's got to get still hundreds of miles away, bleached in the acids of an, of a stomach of a, of a fish. Now, that's even more fun to a people who are so far away from the sea that they worship kind of like a merman. The guy that they worshiped this was, was basically half man, half fish. Now, I'm not exactly sure why that would be the guy that you go, okay, that's a guy I can get behind and feel safe. First of all, once you get into like where they are in the desert, what good is this guy? You know, at best sushi. Anyways, the whole point is, is that, is that, Jesus is saying, now he's turning to his disciples. Jesus had been ministering to this gal. They say, stay with us. He stays two days and he stays two days so that more people would believe. And they do. And now you've got this whole city believing in Jesus. Now they're just kind of freaking out because they were kind of biased against these people. Then Jesus goes, all right, now let's go from here. Let's go instead. Let's go back to a place you guys are comfortable because they're from Galilee, most of them. So let's go back there. But I want to warn you, you know, that a prophet really isn't, doesn't have the same kind of honor. He doesn't have honor where he comes from. So, and Jesus, by the way, had already been rejected, if you remember, in Nazareth, where he was kind of raised up. He had stood, he'd read from Isaiah 61. He said, by the way, the Lord has anointed me, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed, proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He rolls it up and he says, guess what? Today's the day that, remember how he promised this? I'm your man. And then you can imagine the people are like, who does this guy think he is? We know his mom. This is the son of Joseph. Joseph. And his mom, Mary. And we know his four sons. James, Joseph, Jude, and Simon, and his sisters. We don't know how many, but he had at least two, which tells us that this Virgin Mary thing, with all due respect, she had a six-pack of kids after Jesus, at least. Um, There's more miracles there anyways, if you can imagine. So then Jesus looks and he goes, listen, guys. And it reminds you, he's a hometown boy there in Nazareth, as far as they're concerned, even though he's from the tribe of Judah. And he looks at them and he goes, you know what's interesting? Look at our past for a moment. Because remember when there was that great famine and Elijah wasn't sent to everyone. To be honest, he was sent to one widow in Zarephath. And he goes, then there were these guys that had leprosy. And how many guys in the Old Testament were healed of leprosy? One guy was cleansed, and this guy's name was Nechaman. What did they both have in common? Neither were Jewish. And the Jewish people rose up, and they freaked out, and they tried to throw him off a cliff. Jesus, now we read, walked through them. Now, I, I want to see that scene. Did he do that kind of cool Jedi mind trick? Or was it just that he threw kind of a headdress on and looked like another bearded guy next to him and kind of slipped through him? He's like, oh, yeah, 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 get him, get him, get him. I don't know. We don't know. What we do know, though, 
is that that happened before this. So Jesus knows how to be in his own hometown, if you will, and have people go, who do you think you are? And now Jesus is head to Galilee. He was rejected in Nazareth. He was invited in Samaria and now welcomed in Galilee. But notice in verse 45 again, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Having seen, do you see that? Having seen the things that he did at the Jerusalem at the feast, they had also gone to the feast. Now, do you notice again what their trust is being based on? Remember, the whole idea was is that the Samaritans, what did it take for them to believe? What did they have to do? Yeah, they just had to hear. They heard his word, and hearing was enough. Now Jesus goes out of Samaria, and now he heads to a place where he's a lot more, in essence, more accustomed. And as it's the case, these people have to see it. They had seen all this stuff he had done before this, and as a result of that, they're kind of excited Jesus is showing up. So in verse 46, Jesus came again to Cana Galilee when he had made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick in Capernaum. Now, for what it's worth, there are different words for nobleman. We know, for instance, there's another guy in Capernaum that seeks him out named Yerus, who's the synagogue, a synagogue leader there. He's clearly Jewish, and he's clearly part of the Jewish religion as well, obviously, because he's running, helping run the synagogue. He's one of the guys, in essence, he's sort of the custodian, or we might say church warden of the place. But this particular word for nobleman is the word basilikos. And some of you, you know a word like that because in your own native tongue, there's words like basilica or whatever, speaking of a castle or a kingdom. And the word means a kingsman. In essence, what it means is he was a secular nobleman. It doesn't even necessarily, by the way, we don't have his name here. We don't read his origin. He doesn't even necessarily have to be um, Jewish. As a matter of fact, he very well might not be. All we know is that he's got a son who's ready to die. Jesus had shown up the last time, and, and John makes really clear here that he's in Cana, where he had turned water to wine. That was the last time he was there. By the way, Capernaum to Cana, where this guy finds him, is 20 miles by the crow flying, but who rides a crow? It's about 26, 28 miles by, via the roads. So this guy's going to make a 28-mile trip. So let me ask you, how far is 28 miles from here? Any idea? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, t- to be honest, it's probably, it's, it's about halfway between here, a little more than halfway between here and Brighton, give you an idea. And that guy's got to make that trip without a car or a train, whatever, he's got to walk like some of you did to get here today. And he makes that trip because his son's dying. And he hears that Jesus is in Cana. And now he takes this trip there. This is where Jesus had turned washing water into wedding wine. And it tells us this was the second time he's there, which tells us this is, in essence, God's sequel to that last trip. He's going to add on to what happened last time. Now, you've seen sequels. Isn't it weird when they bring in... Any of you ever see a sequel where they actually replace characters? Where actually it's the same character, but there's a new actor, and you still feel weird about it? How about all the more in a case like this where you see some, imagine going to see something that's a sequel and it's like all of the original characters are gone. You expect that if you had seen the first one, it'll help you understand the second one, right? If you've ever, you know, there are certain movies we've seen and we've seen like number three first or something like that. And then we're like, I'm sure this has a lot of depth. I don't know any of it because I've never seen any of them before. This is the reason I say that. Is that in this text, what it tells us is if you were there the last time, 
This will help you understand this one a little bit better too. Last time Jesus had taken empty water jugs that should have been washing people. And instead he said, fill them and they turned to wine, which was a symbol of joy for a wedding, by the way, especially on that. And he's building on that now. Now, when he had heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, notice it doesn't say he had any understanding that he had been in Samaria. He went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son. His son was at the point of death. So a noble father comes to see his son delivered from death. And I think, how bad does it take a guy that's this rich, this famous, and this powerful to beg? Because he's gonna. I mean, he falls before an itinerant preacher that he knows has this rumor to heal people. He's gonna beg him. And I ask you, what does it take in your life to make you, to put you that humble? To make you at the point where you're going to be that humble before anyone go, I, I really, really need your help. I mean, because this thing I care about so much, in this case, it's his son. I'll tell you, if it were one of my children, this would be me. And there are very few things in life that I could see me being that desperate about, but definitely my children would be one of them. Now, Jesus responds, and it almost sounds harsh, doesn't it? Verse 48. I mean, my mindset initially is that it's, you know, putting him in our culture, his eyes are rolling like he works at a coffee house and you just ask for something like tea. And, you know, he's like, ugh, unless you people see these things, you'll never believe. Ugh, what is wrong with you? But the people I remind you again is that I talk, use just plural. But understand the point here. He's going, you know, I'd really love you just to trust me because I say it and it'd be enough. I'd love our relationship to be at this place where if I say it, you just know it's true. That we're being that honest with each other. But it looks like we're not at that place. But don't miss this. Why is it so important that they even made clear that it was Plural. Because Jesus obviously isn't speaking to the man. Because if Jesus was speaking to the man, it would be singular, right? Unless you specifically see these things, you're not going to believe. Jesus is around a lot of other people at this moment in Cana. He's like, boy, if you guys don't... And, And here's the thing. This is the place where Jesus had turned water into wine. And here's the point. Please hear me on this. This whole prove it mindset becomes an addiction. You get in a relationship where you... You know, you ever heard line drawers? It's a term we use. I don't know if you use it here. The idea where you're in a relationship like, well, if you really love me, you'll do this. And then they do that. And they're like, well, that was good yesterday. But today, if you really love me, you'll do this. And you know, the problem with a person drawing lines is that they'll keep drawing lines. Because in the end of it all, they'll never really seldom ever really trust that you love them or care or whatever unless you keep doing what they say. Here's the scary thing. We can do that with God. They're like, God, if you really love me, don't let my grandma, who's 99 years old, die right now. I mean, granted, she's got one lung. Both her kidneys are gone. She's completely blind. Her voice box is gone. She has emphysema, gout, everything's swollen. It's fallen off of her, but don't let her die. Yeah, she knows you, and you could see if you could talk to her, she'd be like, let me die. You know, and the, the point is like, but the, and it's like, and you hear, you hear people, they're like, look at, I gave God this ultimatum. If he did this, then I would believe in him. And see, look at again, if God knows this is what it would take, he would have done it. 
But the moment you start drawing lines, God also knows when you start drawing lines and that's how the relationship goes. He's like, let's just be honest. If I did that and you said you'd believe in me, you'd believe in me for 25 minutes until the next battle and then you draw the next line. And that would be our relationship. And God doesn't want that. The reason I say this, what he's saying to the people isn't just, look at, I got to do something for you to believe in me. He's like, look at, I've already done something here. Should have been enough. But it's, it was enough maybe for the moment. But now it's another day. And because it's another day, you need another miracle. And he goes, you know where this is going to end up. Tomorrow you're going to need another one. And the idea of it is, unless you guys see things, you're not going to believe me. What kind of relationship is that? And understand, this isn't Jesus going, ah, you idiots. What he's looking, he's looking at, he's kind of going, is this the relationship we have to have with each other? Is that I have to keep performing for you to trust me? And look at what we're saying today. Almighty God, I trust you. Come what may, you're the Lord. What if we meant that? And the idea is, I don't have to understand to trust you. Because it tells me in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and you've read it, right? To trust in the Lord with all your heart, but also to lean not upon your own understanding. Because if I trust in you with all my heart, I can't lean upon my understanding because you're smart enough to actually do things I don't understand and do them for my good. But the moment you actually wake up in the middle of a surgery and you start asking the surgeon what he thinks he's doing by grabbing that knife, you know, excuse me, but I think there's a better way to do this thing. And the surgeon's like, I'm kind of the expert here. And you're like, but, I, and, and, you know, let's face it, at a moment like that, not trusting, I mean, being knocked out is kind of a good idea because if you actually want to get in an argument with a guy with a knife when he's trying to fix you, it's really going to be bad. Matter of fact, getting an argument with a guy with a knife, whether he's trying to fix you or not, is still a bad idea. Here's the point in this. Jesus looks at him and he's like, is this what a relationship has to be? And I want to ask you, is that what your relationship is with the Lord? You're like, God, I don't want you to tell me things for me to trust you. I, you need to do things. Because what he says is miracles are the only means by which you're going to trust me, aren't they? And there are places we can go, and the whole thing has to be that. If I don't get the tingles, if I don't get the holy sweats, if angel feathers don't fall from the sky, if some guy doesn't speak in an archaic language that nobody understands or everybody, or if everyone doesn't just get up and start doing laughs, and if I don't have an experience with God, then clearly he must not be there. And if he's not there, then what in the world am I doing here in the first place? And how am I supposed to trust God unless I feel him? How am I supposed to trust God unless some guy pull up to my house and drop a check in my hand when I need the bill paid? And he goes, I really don't want that kind of relationship with you. Here's the cool thing. God doesn't trust us, but he still opens his heart to us. Is that a bit crazy? I mean, he doesn't trust us because he knows us. He knows that we'll actually say things. And this is one of the reasons it's hard for us to trust God is because if he were us, we wouldn't be that honest with him anyways. We mean it sometimes, but it doesn't mean we have the strength to carry it out. And he looks and understand this guy, he's got a legitimate need. His son's dying, but... It isn't about the son at this moment because he's going to deal with that. But here's the most amazing part, and please don't miss this. Jesus says, if what you really takes is for you guys to trust me is for me to do a miracle in front of you, it's not the coolest way to do this. 
but he still does, he still does the miracle anyways, doesn't he? And the reason he does the miracle anyways is because he really does want you to trust him. Now, he won't do every miracle you demand of him because then no, you're no longer actually trusting him with, by doing so. You're actually trusting you to decide what's best and then demanding God come through with it. But in this case, Jesus looks and he's like, if you, you're not even going to trust me, are you, unless I do way fancy supernatural things in front of you, right? Well, Jesus would say in John chapter 20, verse 29 to Thomas, remember the one who said, unless I stick my hand in his nail hole, I won't believe. And Jesus is like, all right, buddy, have at it. He does stoop to our stupidity and love. But then he says, Thomas, you know why you trust me? Because you saw. I mean, you do trust me. And I'm thankful for that. Loose paraphrase. But blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. That's what I'm really looking for. And now look at, maybe it starts that way. Maybe God does something so cool, so huge that you go, wow, okay, I trust you. But what happens the next time when you don't see it? Because that's actually what Jesus is trying to graduate this guy to. Did you notice that? Jesus could have just gone there and healed the noble's son. But he didn't. Because apparently there was one person in this crowd that actually had enough faith that all he had to do was say it, and it was enough. Strangely enough, it may, he may not even have been Jewish. And understand what Jesus is doing is more than just doing a cool miracle for everybody to see. He is also giving this man a chance to demonstrate the kind of relationship he's really looking for. And it's not just to the crowd, it's to his disciples as well who look and go, well, that's what we're really supposed to do, aren't we? And that's kind of a weird thought. Hebrews 11.1. 1. If, if you're the kind that memorizes verses, if you're not, here's a good one to start with. Faith, again, remember that, what faith simply means what? Trust. Okay, let me try that again. Simple quiz, one question. Faith simply means what? Yeah, trust, exactly. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And he'll actually say, and that's what we see here. Now understand, Jesus is dealing with more than this guy. He's multitasking. He's dealing with the crowd. And he's dealing with the crowd. He's like, look, I understand you guys aren't going to, y'all, y'all aren't believing unless I do something. <laughs> I get that. But the dad still has a dying son. So he looks at him and he goes, in, so notice in verse 49, the nobleman says to him, please come down before my child dies. Look at, you got to do this now. And Jesus looks and he goes, go, your son lives. Go home. Go your way. Now notice it says in verse 50, so the man believed what? What does it say? You tell me, verse 50, the man believed what? The word, not the sight. It wasn't like Jesus went, go your way, but first, hold on. Shum, shama, lama. You know, and as this happens, the wind starts to change, right? You know, and then he goes, like that, and you kind of see that kind of, when everyone's hair pulls back, and he's like, oh, and then the sky breaks open, and it's like, whoa! And he's like, okay, now you know it's good. Go. He's healed. And to be honest, for some people, that's what it would have taken. But not this guy. Jesus looked at him and he goes, I've taken care of it. Go home. And the man went, okay. Now, in a moment like that, what do you do? Do you go, oh, no, no, Jesus, I need something more? A lot of people would. 
Now hear me on this, because this is where it comes down to it. And we're almost done here. Jesus comes down and he looks and he goes, look it, I'm going to say it, do you trust me? He's like, it's done. Taken care of it. It's finished. And you go, I don't feel any different. You don't have to. I don't see anything different at the moment. You don't have to. What you really wanted was something at home, right? You wanted something at home changed? You want your son well? You're not with your son at the moment. Do you trust me? I need you to trust me. It's done. And he says, whoever the son sets free, it's free indeed. It's just what it is. It's the truth. I don't feel it. You don't have to. But let me ask you, is all truth something you feel? I mean, let's face it. How much of what you know to be true can actually be rectified by your feelings. In essence, I would dare to say most of what you know to be true, you've been taught and you've just agreed with somewhere. Some of you pride yourself in being too smart for that. But I guarantee you most of what you pull from is going to be that way. And there probably wasn't any feelings involved at all. This is white. This is up. That's east. This is north. I don't know. This doesn't feel west. It's still west. You don't have to be, you know. Now, ultimately, we close this thing up. Everyone needs to see him work. But Jesus is doing a miracle even when you can't see him. Because at that very moment, the son couldn't see Jesus. Family couldn't see Jesus. And anyone else in the house couldn't see Jesus. He was in another location at the moment. Now, good news is he's everywhere <laughs> now. But there, in a physical frame, he was in something in one place. He was in Cana. And as he was in Cana, you know, somewhere down the line, Dad goes, I'm going to go find this Jesus guy, and I'm going to ask him to heal him. And imagine how weird that would be. You know, some of you, your moms, you know how, this, how weird this would be. And the dad's like, all right. I'm going to be the fix it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to go bring back Jesus. Because remember, he says, Sir, son, sir, come. My child's dying. Please, will you come? So imagine, he's like, he's got a particular mindset. My mindset is, I'm going to go get Jesus and see if I can get him to Capernaum so we can take care of our son. So mom's there sitting with the son. Imagine, his mom's there sitting with the son. You know, dad's conversing right now with Jesus. And the son all of a sudden goes, Hey, mom, what's up? You got some food? Let's go do something. And at that moment, what would you do if you were a mom? You'd think, whoa, what just happened? Was this a miracle or is he in remission? But think about the, stag- the staggered, weak faith we could have in a moment like that. Well, if we were, should we really have gone to see Jesus in the first place? Maybe it just got better. I mean, I didn't see Jesus show up here. Then imagine dad has to come back to the house and go, he said he's better. The servants met him. He's better. It was the same time. Do you get it? And imagine the wife going, oh, it all makes sense now. Because we read the end result was not just that the dad believed, but who else? The whole family, man. The whole family goes, let's face it. If you were the boy, you'd get it. If you were the mom, to be honest, you'd get it. So Jesus looks at this thing and he was going down. It says the last few verses on this. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him, your son lives. He inquired on what hour that he got better. And he said yesterday about the seventh hour, seven for what it's worth, number of completion. And it says a fever left him. The father knew it was the same hour that Jesus said to him, your son lives. 
So he himself believed, but then he already believed before this point, but this cemented it now. All right, I really do trust him. And his whole household. This was the second sign that Jesus did when he came out of Judea and Galilee. Closing this up, hear me on this. I remind you, he, couldn't, he didn't have to tell us where it was, kind of, and he didn't have to remind us this is where Jesus turned the water to wine. But he did, why? Well, look at the two things if we compare them, because they're actually really cool. I mean, the first situation, you have a wedding, and at the wedding, there, is, there are these, these vats for washing, and they're completely dry. They're completely waterless, and they shouldn't be, because this should be a pure thing. Wedding should be a place of great purity and celebration for it. But they're not only just out of water, they're out of wine. The only problem is they weren't out of water, they just hadn't filled them because he tells them to go fill it with water, and they do. So that tells us there must be water somewhere to get. So they do. Jesus turns the water into wine, and he shows us the beauty of this relationship of a marriage. He brings joy back into a marriage. And how does he do it? Well, look at the second miracle. The second miracle is a son that is delivered from death. Do you get it? This is the whole point of our whole walk with Jesus. First, his death on the cross is to restore the relationship with us. That's the part he does. He, will, he First of all, restores. He fills what should have been brought for purity. He purifies us. And then once he purifies us, he blesses the union with joy. How do I know that that's the case? Because the son was rescued from death. And that's the whole point of it. That's the resurrection. The death on the cross relationship paid for and restored. The resurrection, a whole new one I get to walk with. Now here's my question. What do you need for, to believe that? What does God have to do? Now, before you start setting limits, let me just say this. You could just, because you might be just at the case where you're like, you know what? Yeah, I just kind of know that's true. And it's God's Holy Spirit can just do that. He could just tell your heart, yeah, that's for real. And then you don't need anything. But I guarantee you, if there's something you're going to need, he's going to do it, if you need it. If you want it and it's not going to actually work, he's not going to play, like it's not like a dog and pony show. You can't just say, here's the hoop, jump through it. So when you say, well, I told God I'd believe in him if he did this thing and he didn't, I tell you, well, then you lied to yourself. Because if you really would have believed in him from that forever, you would have done it. He'd pull back the sky and he'd move. He'd take the moon if he had to. Because he really wants you to trust him. So let me ask you, where are you at today? As we go to prayer, do you trust him? Or is this just some kind of relationship where as long as he performs, you're going to be cool with him? I don't want Jesus to say of you or of me, unless I keep doing crazy things like this, you will never really trust me. Because if you never really trust me, we'll never really have a real relationship. And Jesus didn't die for you just so you could go to heaven. Jesus didn't die for you so you could join a church. Jesus died for you because he wanted a relationship with you, an intimate, real relationship. His heart's wide open. Problem's not on his side. The question is whether you're willing to say yes. Now, there's a lot of reasons why you could say no, but let me just say in love, none of them are good ones. And that's the choice you've got to make. So as we go to prayer, have you accepted the gift of Jesus? By the way, the first act is an act of just accepting his gift. That's the whole point of it. It's taking the cup and saying yes. All right, Jesus, if you really did this, I'll say yes. I'll walk with you. You can lead me to understand you better. I'm good with that. I'll follow you. But that's the choice you've got to make. If you have, what if we walk to that place where we got into his word like this and we said, Lord, you just speak. I'm going to trust you. And as you lead me, 
I'm going to trust you. And we're going to have a real relationship. One that's real because it's real on trust. Faith. Like he desires. Will you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful text. I want to thank you, Lord, that as you walk us through this, we get compared. We see these Samaritans who were, in essence, uh, sort of, uh, well, in in bloodline kind of half-breeds, mixed race, but yet demonstrated great faith and trusting you by hearing you. We see a man we don't even know what uh, his origin is genetically. But we do see that he demonstrates faith by hearing your word, believing in it. And we see a batch of people around who are relying on you to do something really cool and awesome and weird in front of them. And as long as you keep doing that, they'll keep trusting you in the moment that really don't have the kind of relationship you want with them if they have a relationship with you at all. And I just pray, Lord, that we would graduate from a place that just demands you to do stuff for us to put any form of trust or investment in you to a place, God, where (laughs) we trust you because your word's true. Because you are a God who doesn't lie. You cannot lie. And all your words are true. Let us live that kind of life. Lord, you're welcome to do whatever miracles you want around us, but Lord, let us live the kind of life where we we don't demand it. We're not drawing lines in the sand to keep trying to get you to cross them. But here in this room, if you understood nothing else but this, God wants a relationship with you, and for that to happen, you've got to spend your trust. Trust that he died on the cross to pay for all of your guilt, shame. Trust that he was rescued from death, raised on the third day to give you a brand new life. That's where the relationship starts. If you're not sure if you've ever prayed to receive the gift of Jesus Christ, I'd love the privilege of leading you now in a simple prayer. If you say yes today, all you have to do is say amen at the end of the prayer because I want you to listen to what it is we're praying. And what you're saying is, I agree, let those words be my words now. So be it in my life. And here's the prayer. God in heaven, may I come to you guilty. I'm not perfect and we both know that. But you took all my guilt and shame and you placed it on the shoulders of your son who died on the cross for me so that it could be punished without having to punish me. When Jesus died there, the bill was paid. He was buried just like all your scripture promised. On the third day, you rose him from the dead. And in doing so, you offer me a brand new life where that old stuff is dead and a new me could live to follow you. So I may not understand everything, but I understand this much. I understand that that Jesus wants me and he wants a relationship where I trust him. And with that, I say yes. So... Forgive me, wash me clean, pay that bill, and make me yours. I hand myself to you now, in Jesus' name. 
If you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say amen. And God, you've heard our hearts. You've heard our prayers today. Take us seriously. Now, Lord, lead us in that relationship of trust with you. We recognize there are going to be challenges in life. And every challenge we have will be an opportunity for us to demonstrate our trust in you. When it doesn't make sense, when we're outnumbered, outmanned, outgunned, out whatever, when we're overwhelmed, when we're out of control and we can't control. We want to control it, but we can't. And we try. And we try in our subtle ways and in our not-so-subtle ways to try to keep it all within hand's reach so that somehow we could kind of put things in order. But they're not. They're not being put in order. We're out of control. We, can't, we just can't do it. And all that's left to do is to let it go and to trust you and let you lead us in what it is you want us to do and what part's just yours to do. So God, please help us to trust you to believe in you like we should. And to have that kind of relationship that your word is truth and we trust you. So, let us walk out of here in an abundance of that and demonstrate that to people whose eyes are watching, who maybe right now are in the same place as the crowd in Cana that they won't believe until they see. And what's clear, God, is that for us to really demonstrate, it's going to take, it's going to be both. People need to hear and they need to see. Let us live the kind of life that they do, that both happen. That they see in our lives, but they also hear from our lips. Lord, the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as they hear that, God, they, and they watch, they recognize the truth lived out. And in that, God, as you manifest in those situations, show them that you need, that you are calling on their faith, calling on their trust. And show them the need to do so. So, Lord, we're yours. Let it be so, we pray, as we are at your disposal. In Jesus' name. Amen.